thank you all for being with us here today in person and online. We appreciate you worshiping with us. Uh, today's message is called Invitation Season. And it's called Invitation Season because that's what we are in right now. And I believe that there has never been a better time to invite someone to join you in a worship service. There has never been a better time to invite somebody in your life to experience hope, specifically the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I believe in the power of invitations, extending those invitations. I believe that invitations have the power to change your life. In fact, I believe that invitations precede transformation. And maybe by the end of today's message, you'll have an idea of what I'm talking about. So this past week, uh, Tuesday, I had the opportunity to uh, catch up with an old friend and mentor. And this is a guy who is uh, very active in men's ministry. He volunteers with the men's ministry organization. He's active in a few different churches. Uh, he's very active in uh, ministry in Kenya as well. He's been to Kenya several times. Um, he actually helps facilitate some men's groups in Kenya from the United States. And so this guy is, is all in. And his life is really oriented around Jesus and the mission of Jesus Christ. But this guy, like a, a lot of you in this room, this guy did not grow up in a, um, in a Christian home. Uh, nobody in his house. Uh, they weren't believers. Uh, nobody forced him to go to church on a Sunday morning. And so he was basically rehashing his story of how he got from that point in his life in a home where, where really nobody forced him to go to church, where really nobody was talking about Jesus, how he went from that to now being all in for Jesus. And he described his journey. It was just a series of invitations. As a young man, he was invited to a youth club and really nobody mentioned Jesus to him. Nobody mentioned God to him, but he was invited to this youth club. And so he went to this youth club and he hung out. And there was music and somebody found out he could play guitar. And so they said, hey, would you like to join our band? So he was invited to join the band. And so, you know, he's eager to, to show off his skills and to play his instrument. So he joined the band. And so that invitation led to an invitation to a youth camp again. Nobody's really talking about God much or Jesus much. So he went to that youth camp, but all these things were Christian organizations. And so one invitation led to another invitation, led to another invitation, which eventually led to somebody inviting him to accept Jesus as his Savior. One thing led to another, one invitation led to another, and ultimately he did receive Jesus as his Savior as a young man. Now all these decades later, he is all in for Jesus. That's our story for some of us right here. I mean, I think about about my life. Now, I did grow up in what you might call a Christian home. My parents were believers, and my parents, as a kid, my parents invited me to go to church with them. What's that called, by the way? When your parents invite you to go to church, what's that called? Mandatory? Is that what that is? Yeah, we know how that works. And so I went to church as a kid, and then at some point, I was invited to go to this thing called a Billy Graham crusade, and I don't even know, what does this mean? I don't know what this is, but it was at that stadium. Anybody remember that stadium? Yeah, we all do. We're all from Delco. Come on, we know that stadium. Some of you might even have a piece of that stadium in your home somewhere. Did you save a chunk of concrete, right? You got one? Yeah, there we go. So I was at that stadium, so this Billy Graham guy is supposed to be famous or whatever, so I go to this, this thing, I'm invited to this thing, and I go to this thing, and at that, at that event, at that crusade is what they called it, Billy Graham gives this talk about receiving Jesus as your Savior, and I'm like, well, you know, I was like 10 or 11 at the time, I'm pretty sure I already did this, but I'm not entirely sure, and so this invitation is made, if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, come on down to the field, and you can receive Christ as your Savior. So I was invited to come down to the field, and I thought this would be a cool experience, get to see what like the Phillies play, isn't that neat? So I went down on the field, invited to receive Jesus as my Savior, and 
And that's what I did. You know, 10, 11 years old, so it's not as if I understood exactly what I was signing up for. But I was invited to say yes to Jesus, and I did. Invitations can change, can change our lives, can transform our lives. More recently, the last church that I was a part of, Bethlehem Church, I started working there. Within my first month of working there, I was working with children's ministry. And within my first month, I was invited to go on this, this trip out to California, Orange County, California, to visit Saddleback Church. They're having a small group conference, all right? Small group conference. That had nothing to do with me. I was in charge of children's ministry. They didn't need to invite me to this. It cost a lot of money to get me out there, but I was invited to go on this trip. I thought, oh, I've never been to California before. Let's check it out, right? So I get on the plane with this group of people. I go out to California. By the way, it rained the entire time I was there, right? The only time I've been to California, it rained the entire time. <clears throat> so I go out to this conference. I was invited to go, so I said yes to this invitation. I go out, and I learned there something about church that I had never realized before. By that point in my life, I'd already graduated Bible college, but I never realized that church is supposed to be community. We're supposed to be an authentic community of people. We're in each other's lives. There's no compartmentalization. It's not like you have your church friends and then your real friends. No, we should be able to be real with each other. Stop playing church and be a community. And so I realized this. Again, I had no reason to be there. I was in charge of children's ministry. It had nothing to do with children's ministry, but I was invited to this. I said yes to this, and it changed my perspective on what church is. I went on to become the pastor of small groups at that church, and a couple years later, I was invited to something else. I was invited to attend a pastor's group made up of pastors in the Westchester area, and I did not want to go to a pastor's group made up of pastors in the Westchester area because, I don't know if you know this, but pastors are weird and awkward, and they make you feel uncomfortable, right? So I don't want to be around all these pastors, and so I reluctantly, I reluctantly said yes to that invitation, went out to that group, and yes, the pastors were weird if you're wondering, but we went through this study together. They're also wonderful guys. We went through this study together. In the context of this study, I was exposed to a question that quite literally changed the course of my life. And the question was, and I've told you this, if you've been with us for a few years, you know this. The question was, what does God want? What does God want more than anything else? At that point in my life, I'd finished Bible college, I was in seminary, but I never considered this question, what does God want more than anything else? And the answer to that question is, He wants to redeem us. Of all the things that God wants, God wants to save His people, wants to save the lost. That's the thing that God wants more than anything else, more than kids going to Christian schools, more than more church buildings being built. He wants people to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what God wants more than anything else. And if that's what God wants more than anything else, shouldn't we, those of us who follow Jesus, shouldn't we be about that work? If that's the number one priority for Jesus, shouldn't that be the number one priority for those of us who follow Jesus? And so again, I said yes to this invitation, was exposed to this question that changed my perspective on what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a pastor, what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a father, what it means to be. This question changed my life. And without being exposed to that question, I would not have started Hope Community Church. Invitations change things. Isn't that true? Can you think back? Experiences that you've had that have changed your life. Invitations that you've said yes to. Maybe you're reluctant. Maybe it felt like a big thing. Maybe it felt like a small thing. But you said yes. Remember that party you were invited to? You're like, yeah, kind of on the fence about going, but you went to that party, and there she was, ooh. And there he was, ooh. 
And you met that person. You had no idea you're about to meet the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with, but you met that person because you said yes to that invitation. Or maybe you were invited to that book group. You thought, I don't know these people. And you went to that book club. You went to that book club and you sat down with these strangers and they became some of your closest friends to this day. Or maybe you were back in high school and you were invited to join a club or a team and you signed up for that team. And those are friends that you're still friends with to this day. These invitations can change our lives. And very, very rarely do we anticipate what kind of change will come about if we say yes to these invitations. Some of you, it was a church service, right? You're invited to go to some worship service and you weren't sure what was going on. You came into a space and you thought, what's going on here? It's an old building, but they're playing modern instruments. What's happening? What's going on? Why am I even here? What am I doing here? And you walked into the space and you thought, I regret this instantly. And then something happened during that time. Something happened. It put you on a different path in this life. These invitations precede, they come before transformation so often. If you don't believe me, let's take a look at your passage that's in the bulletin. This is a passage written by the Apostle John. John, one of the very first followers of Jesus, certainly one of the first four, if not the very first follower, first disciple of Jesus. And John is the last person, the last apostle to sit down and write a biography of the life of Jesus. And so Matthew had already done it, and Mark had written one, and Luke had written one. And those books that they had written were already in circulation. So John, John's gospel is unique in that he covers things that the other guys didn't cover. He covers ground that they did not already cover. You know what? They already wrote about this. Let me write about something else. So here's what we know about John the apostle is that John, the apostle, John, the disciple, he had been, before following Jesus, he had been a follower of John the Baptist. Man, they didn't have enough names back then. Half the people are named John, the other half named Mary. It's very confusing. So anyway, you got this guy named John, all right? And he has a brother named James, and they both work for their dad. They're fishermen. And John and James, they were followers of John the Baptist, okay? Everybody got that? So they were disciples of John the Baptist. Now, how did they become disciples of John the Baptist? I'm not exactly sure. John the Baptist was this guy, he realized, he saw that the religious system, that the temple system had been corrupted by Roman influence, and so he left the religious system of his people, he left the religious order, the religious system of the Jews to go out and find God and go back to the scriptures, go back, waiting, searching, eagerly anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. John was a guy actively waiting and seeking out the Messiah. Not only that, God was given a special mission and put on this planet for a very special reason. Side note, we're all put on this planet to fulfill a special purpose. Anyway, John's special purpose was to prepare the way for the Messiah. Not just look for him, not just seek for him, but to actually prepare people to receive the Messiah. And the message that John the Baptist preached prepared people to hear what the Messiah would have to say and what he would bring. And so the other gospel writers, they, they tell us this story, they tell us about what happened, they tell us that one day Jesus is there, and Jesus goes before John the Baptist, as crowds of people were there, and Jesus himself is baptized by John, and John's like, this is not appropriate, I see who you are, God has told me who you are, you're the Messiah that we've been waiting for, you're the Messiah that I've been preparing people for, you should be baptized in me, Jesus says, just do this, let it be so, to fulfill all righteousness, this is the right thing to do at this point in time, and so John does this. Now let's think about the practical dynamic that's going to shift here. Here's John the Baptist, some disciples. What are all these guys about? They're all about waiting for the Messiah. So here comes this moment where the Messiah is right there. What do you do? 
What do you do if you're a disciple of John the Baptist and the guy that you've been waiting for shows up? What do you do then? Let's find out. John 1, 36, when he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. We spent a lot of time talking about that phrase, and we will in a few weeks. Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him saying this, they followed Jesus. So two of John the Baptist's disciples heard John the Baptist say, you know that guy we've been waiting for? There he is. And so, like, should we stay with you? Should we? Have, what do we do now? So they decide <clears throat> to follow Jesus. Can you just, like, I know we've got our movies about the life of Jesus, and they're, they're great, and they're fantastic, and all that, but can we just appreciate the practical awkwardness of this moment? John the Baptist points out Jesus. Jesus is on his way, and these two guys just start following him, you know? Like, literally, where's he going? What's he about? How do we, do we introduce ourselves? How does this work? They just start to follow him. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Other translations say, what are you looking for? The old King James says, what seekest thou? Isn't that fun? What seekest thou? What are you looking for? What do you want from me? Why are you following me? What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, the English is a little bit clunky here. I mean, basically, if you go back to the original Greek, like where are you staying, could also be translated as where, is you, where are you going, right? Are you going to the place where you are staying? Where are you headed? Assuming you're going to where you're staying, where are you staying, where are you going? And what does Jesus say? Come. He replied, and you will see. Come on, let's go. I mean, you guys are after something, you're seeking for something, you're looking for something. What seekest thou? You want to see where I'm going? You want to see where I'm headed? You want to see what I'm about? Come on, let's go. You'll find out when we get there. Come. And you will see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, saw where he was headed, they saw where he was going, and they spent that day with him. Oh, what a day that was. What happened during the course of that day? It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's clear this up a little bit. So you've got Andrew, who's the brother of Simon, and later Simon will be renamed Peter, okay? So we got that going on. You've got Andrew, and then you've got John, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple. So it's Andrew and John were the two that went following. <clears throat> and so Andrew, Simon's brother, was one of the two, and the first thing after spending a day with Jesus, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now there's this whole epic scene that unfolds that John really doesn't lay out for us in his gospel because it's ground that's already covered. There's this miraculous event. Jesus gets on the boat with, with Simon and they go out and they catch all these fish and it's a miraculous catch of fish, but John doesn't cover all that. He says, we have found the Messiah. And so Andrew finds the Messiah, finds the Savior of the world, and what does he do? I want to show my brother. I want to invite my brother to meet this Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, 
which when translated is Peter. And so later on, and John's a little bit out of order here, but later on, Jesus will rename Simon Peter. And so, <clears throat> series of events, right? John the Baptist at some point must have invited John and Andrew to follow him. And so they're following him, and then John the Baptist points out Jesus, and so they go to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, well, are you guys following me? And then Jesus invites them to follow him. Come, come with me. Come and see where I'm headed. Come and see where I'm going. And so they spend the day with Jesus, and whatever happens during that day inspires Andrew. This is really it. I mean, John the Baptist said it was him. I spent the day with him. i got to tell my brother. I'm going to invite my brother then to meet this Jesus. Did these guys have any idea of how radically their lives were about to change? Oh, my goodness. 2,000 years later, I'm up here telling their story. Goodness gracious. And it all started, hey, I want you to meet this guy. <laughs> it all started with a simple but important invitation. That invitation eventually led to their transformation. Let me talk to the, to the Christians in the room right now, okay? We've got some Christians, believers, whatever you want to call yourself, right? There's, a thing, there's this thing that we, we Christians do, okay? And a lot of us Christians, you know, this is me. I, I believe that what the Bible says is true, right? I don't have to like it. I don't have to be comfortable with it. There are some things that I'm taught in Scripture that I love and I'm so grateful for. The Gospel, I love reading the God, about the Gospel, how God loved us so much that He sent Jesus into the world to die for us and that whoever accepts that gift, whoever accepts Jesus as Savior, has their sins forgiven and gets to go to heaven when they die even though we don't deserve it. I love that. I love what the Bible says about love and compassion and service and kindness, but there's some other things that the Bible tells us that I'm less comfortable with. And a lot of you Christians in the room, you believe the same thing that I do, that the Bible clearly tells us that when we die, we go on to heaven or not. Or not. You know, someday, sometimes modern preachers are accused of doing the, um, the fear tactics and scaring people, preaching about hell and all this stuff. You know how often Jesus talked about hell? Like a lot. Like a lot. I don't know that he enjoyed it. But he just told people the truth. And here's the truth, and, and I'm not the only one who believes this. If you believe what the Bible has to say, you believe the same as I do. That none of us, none of us deserve heaven. None of us. None of us deserve heaven. But heaven is a gift from God made possible to us through the sacrificial offering of Jesus Christ. That's how, it's not, we don't go to heaven through our good works, we go because we've accepted what Jesus has done for us. It's not about what we do, but what's been done for us, putting our faith and trust. Jesus, what I couldn't do for myself, you have done for me. Jesus, you paid off the debt that I owed to God. I'm not the only person who believes this, right? I mean, there's a percentage of, of people in this room who are Christians who believe the same thing that I believe. But then so many of us Christians, we have this kind of logical disconnect. We can say things like this, as uncomfortable as it might be. We can say things like, I believe that the only way to heaven is to put your trust in Jesus. We can say that, but then we can have people in our lives that we love that don't know Jesus as their Savior. And we can say, eh, eh. You know, I don't want to think about their death. I don't want to think about you know, whether or not they're going to heaven. And I certainly don't want to think about them going to hell. Of course we don't want to think about that. Give me a break. None of us do. 
There's this believer disconnect in our logic. We can say, you only go to heaven by trusting in Jesus, but what about the people that, not just the random people, what about the people you love that don't yet know Jesus as their Savior? You tell me, Christians, according to your own logic, where are they headed when they die? Ooh, we don't want to think about that. There's a believer disconnect. A disconnect in our logic. It scares us. It panics us. Here's what I want to say. Let's, instead of being panicked, instead of trying to like, I don't want to think about it, I don't want to think about it in those terms, why don't, why don't we just come to peace with the reality. Come to peace with the reality that the people we love, if they want to go to heaven, they need to accept Jesus as their Savior. There's no other way. There's no other way. So what can we, as believers, what can we do about their salvation? the people you love the most that don't know Jesus as their Savior. What can you do about their salvation? What can you do to get them into heaven when they die? What can you do? You can't die on a cross for their sins. That's not going to be any good. That's not going to do anybody any good. You can't do that. Jesus already did that. He already made that sacrifice on your, for your sake and for my sake, for everyone's sake. He already did that work. What can you do? What power do you have? Because let's face it. We don't have a lot of control over things in this life. We just don't. I think that's a lesson that a lot of us learned during the pandemic time when all of a sudden our jobs were gone and we couldn't meet with people. Like, wow, I have so little control over my life. And so you care about people. You love them. You want them to go to heaven when they die. What can you do about it? If only there was something you could do. But there's not, so let's close in prayer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what can you do about it? You can pray for them and you can invite them to meet Jesus. Invite them to experience the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. You can extend the invitation. You can extend the invitation. That's, this is how, have I told you this before? This is how Hope Community Church started. Me sitting at a desk writing down the names of everybody I know that lives in southern Delaware County. Every single person that I know that lives in southern Delaware County. And then I went and I highlighted all the people who did not yet know Jesus as their Savior, and I invited them. You know what? We're starting a church. I invited them. Some a little bit more aggressively than others, but I invited and I prayed. Because guess what? That's the only, that's the only thing I can do. I don't have the power to force someone to accept Jesus as their Savior. And if I did have the power, I wouldn't use it because that's not how it works. It's not about force. But I do have the ability, the power, the control. I am able to pray and invite. That's what I can do. So many things I can't do, but I can pray and invite. Who in your life? Who in your life that you love does not yet know Jesus as their Savior. You want me to keep talking? Let's have a little awkward silence, shall we? Who is it? Who in your life? Don't, don't, don't worry about them. Don't worry. Don't give in to worry. Just pray for them. Listen, because that, I see some of your faces. Don't worry about Pray for them instead of worrying. Pray for them and invite them. 
You can't force them to show up at church. You can't force them to a Bible study. But invite and pray. You can do that. Because here's the thing. Those people that are on your heart right now, those people that you love so much that don't know Jesus as their Savior, guess what? God loves them more than you do. And His heart is even more broken than yours for them. And He has gone to great lengths to save them. So don't give in to this, this Christian thing that we do. This disconnect. Don't do it. Just embrace the reality. They don't yet know Jesus as their Savior and do what you can do about it, which is pray for them and invite them. You can't force them to say yes, but you can extend the invitation. You can pray. You can invite. Take a look at the back of your bulletin. Friends, this is invitation season, okay? This is invitation season. We are entering into, you know, just a few weeks before Easter, it's one of those times of year that more and more people are open to saying yes to that invitation. So I want to show you where we are going for the next few weeks. This is a perfect opportunity to invite someone to worship with you. We're going to do the lead up to Easter, cover this ground. What are we doing? We're doing this series called Missions End. And what we're doing in this series is really covering the events of what a lot of Christians call Holy Week. We're talking about Palm Sunday where Jesus enters into Jerusalem. We're going to talk about the Last Supper, the last Passover that Jesus and his disciples observed and why that was so important. And we're going to take a look at, at what, again, a lot of Christians call Good Friday, the day that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We're going to spend this time, the next three weeks, talking through this final week before the crucifixion, how important this time was. And then after this three-part series, we're going to start a new series on Easter Sunday called Resurrected. Again, another wonderful opportunity to invite someone to worship with you. Come on and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Come on and discover what exactly that means and how you're, you're involved in this, what Jesus has done for you. And then not just, not just one and done, but come for that three-week series. Learn about the resurrection. Learn about the relationships that Jesus restored. Learn about the mission that he gave to his people. These are perfect opportunities to invite someone to worship with you. Listen, guys, I, I, I don't want it's not about, it's not just about inviting someone to church. It's not about that. It's about inviting someone to meet Jesus in the hope that they will receive salvation in Jesus Christ, in the hope that they will accept the gift of salvation that's been extended to them. Don't think of it like inviting someone to church. Think of it like inviting someone to meet Jesus. So here's what I would like to do. I would like to take this moment <clears throat> to make some invitations. The first thing I want to do is I would like to invite our online audience. Let's call it that. Maybe during this pandemic time, you have made a connection with Hope online. You've heard a podcast or you've seen a video or you've seen parts of a video and you've made some kind of a connection with us. Here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to say to our online audience. <clears throat> a little secret. We are not an online church. We're just not. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm so thankful that we have this technology and we've got cameras and we've got podcasts and I'm so glad that we have the tech, but that's just, it's not, we're a community church. You know, there are other churches that are bigger churches with bigger budgets that can do the online thing and connect with people virtually and all that. That's not us. And so I want to invite you to join us personally in a worship service as you are comfortable. When you are comfortable, here's what's up. We are moving into, and we're afraid, a lot of us are afraid to say it, but we are moving into post-pandemic season. 
Oh, some people are afraid to use that term, but that's, we're moving into post-pandemic season. Some people are using different terminology. They're saying, we're moving into living with the virus. Are you more comfortable with that? As opposed to being restricted by the virus, we're living with it. We're going about our lives. We're living with it. And so for those of you who are ready and are comfortable and don't have any immune disorder, if you're ready to come in, come experience what we're about here. I'd like to make another specific invitation to our old friends that we haven't seen in two years. There's been this pandemic, and we understand. We understand why you haven't been back in person. But I want to invite you to come on back as you feel comfortable, as you feel ready. And I want to let you know that we saved you a seat. I mean, some people who are part of our church family, we haven't seen since we were back at the Barnstormers Theater. And so if that's you, if I'm describing you, I just want you to know that we saved your seat, okay? I mean, not literally. We're in different seats here. We've got pews instead of, you know, comfortable chairs. But we saved your seat. You are welcome to come back. There's this weird thing that's going on in churches right now where some people have this, like, the illusion of a burnt bridge, well, I haven't been there in person in two years, and I don't think I'm welcome there. Are you kidding me? Come on back. We saved your seat. I talked to somebody recently who hasn't been here in a while because of the pandemic, which is understandable. I said, oh, well, I miss you guys. I feel like saying, we didn't go anywhere. Whenever you're ready, come on back in. Whenever you're comfortable, come on, come on back in. You're welcome. Now, what about you? Who do you have to invite to experience the hope that is in Jesus? Who's on your heart? Who's on your mind? Who do you need to be praying for? Who do you need to invite? We can and we will transform lives in this community, but it all starts with making those invitations. They may seem small, or they may seem big, but making those invitations. Make that invitation. Someone can experience hope. And then do what Jesus did. He said, come with me. Not, hey, I'll meet you there Sunday morning. No, he said, come with me. Go ahead. Pick them up. Stop on the way. Bring them on with you to worship. Make that invitation, all in the hope that the people you love, the people that you invite, will eventually realize that Jesus is the Son of God and will accept him as their Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the people that invited us, invited us to, to youth clubs, invited us to worship services, invited us to, to Christian concerts, to something to, that made those invitations that ended up changing our lives. We thank you for those invitations that have been made. Father God, right now, as we are in this, this wonderful yet weird season, moving into post-pandemic season, we just pray that you would... Show us, reveal to us, who should we be praying for? Who should we be inviting to worship? Father God, we, we trust and we know that you love our lost loved ones more than we do. So Father God, don't let us get in the way. Don't let us get in the way of what you want to do. You want to redeem our lost loved ones. You want them to receive salvation. So use us as you see fit. Father God, don't let us to fall into that temptation of just you know, avoiding thinking about it or just you know, giving in to worry. Don't let us be worried, God, but instead let us pray that you would create that transformation. Show us. Show us what we have the power to do. Show us and remind us that we have the power to pray, the power to invite. 
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.